film and television. Merely entertainment, right? No. There's so much more to film and television that changes our perspectives. And as a result, we can have different, either realistic expectations or non-realistic expectations about what life is really like. Whether it be horror that helps us develop a habit of turning every light on in the house or a comedy that helps us relieve tension in the saddest times of our life. I want to go in the Wayback Machine and find out exactly what movie helped shape you. I'm Oma Shadi, and welcome to the Between the Bannisters podcast. Hey kids, Mama Shadi. Welcome back. And guess what? I'm excited again. Per usual. Today I have an incredible guest on uh, talking about one of the most incredible horror films that I've ever had the pleasure of watching. And I'm so glad that we're talking about it today. And I'm so glad that I'm talking about it with this guest. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. James Rendell. He is a lecturer in creative industries at the University of South Wales, whose research largely focuses on horror media, audiences' meaning-making practices, participatory cultures, and identity formation around popular culture. Now, James has published his research in a range of journals and edited collections, and his forthcoming book titled Transmedia Terror in Post-TV Horror, published with Amsterdam University Press, will be out later this year. Very, very exciting. So alongside scholarly research, James also works with industry on audience engagement with developing media and runs fortnightly community cinema screenings at the university. Smart man. Fun man. James, what are we talking about today? We are talking about Lightning in a Jar, um, the Blair Witch Project from 1999, directed by Dan Myrick and uh, Ed Sanchez. Ah, Ed Sanchez. Yay! I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this because this movie kind of came after I had had my first son. So I was like 98. And I was living away from family and I was living in a different state that had a, I grew up in like a wooded area, but I was living in a different state that had a lot of like forest parks through it. Um, I was living in New Jersey and it had like Belmont Stakes, which is like horse racing country. But in between all those little pockets, there was these little like pockets of like forests that people would have like walking trails through. And I was like, I'm just going to take my baby through the walking trail and absolutely <laughs> never again. That was it, never leave the house. Did my child and I go through the walking trail? But I want to hear specifically why this film above all others, all others that you could have chosen. I have a similar story where I think I was about, I want to say, I thought I was around 15 when I watched mm. this. But chatting to my my younger sister, she thinks I was around 13 or 14 because we watched it together. I was babysitting. Yeah. Um, and being the responsible older brother, I put on the Blair Witch Project. Mm. Um, like you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bonding exercise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'd never seen a film like it. I'd seen some landmark horror films. I'd seen The Shining. Um, I'd seen The Evil Dead 2 seen The Exorcist, um, slashes, but this film, you know, broke cinematic language. It did not adhere to all the things we think of as, you know, generic horror text, you know, even the ones that are sort of super famous and, and super powerful. And this just blew me away with what it was doing and how it was showing it. And, and um, you know, it looks like it's shot from the hip, but it's really beautifully crafted. Um, and I've seen, I mean, I like found footage anyway, 
Um, and I think I've seen subsequently films that are maybe more scary or, or just the scary things like Lake Mungo or Wreck, um, uh, the Japanese film Noroi, um, mm. and even something like Ghost Watch, the, the BBC kind of. Oh, I love Ghost yeah. It's so good. Um, but for me, the reason why I love this film so much is the viewing experience. The So I, um, being in the UK and of, of an age where I missed the kind of viral marketing, yeah. I, I didn't uh, go on the website, I uh, didn't watch the documentary. Um, so I never fully got the kind of, is it real, is it not? Mm. Um, but the viewing experience, as I said, so I was babysitting my sister um, and we weren't particularly close when we grew up. We were sort of doing our own things. Um, and yeah, we, my mum's my out. And also as backstory as well, my mum used to be really strict on what I could watch. And my, my dad was very kind of, watch what you want. <laughs> you know, so, it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and a, a mum who kind of made it illicit. Like, oh, this, this is a really cool horror. That, and she's out and I'm going to watch it um, with my sister. Um, and we lived in the countryside. We lived in this really rural village. Um, there's like no public transport. It's um, it's super boring. <laughs> um, but we're watching this movie. It's 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 the middle of the night. We 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 make it all pitch black. Um, our living room, uh, the living room kind of doors back onto the garden, um, and the whole wall is essentially kind of glass um, patio doors. And we just had the, the curtains open the whole time. Yeah. So we're in rural, rural England. It's it's in the middle of nowhere. It's the real sticks. We're watching this film, this this taboo film. We're not meant to be watching, and it's just us as kids. And that experience of sitting on a sofa together in the dark, yeah. But also feeling like you're in the woods. You know, you're in your living room, but this the garden around you, the nature around you. It just stayed with us. It was such a powerful. And there's a really kind of sweet irony where before. Um, Doing, this, doing a bit of research for this podcast, I was watching some of the interviews with the directors and they were sort of talking about the inspiration for The Blair Witch. And they said that they remember as kids watching those 70s TV documentaries mm -hmm. about Bigfoot or the UFOs and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> they would go to beds and look out their windows, their bedroom windows, and, and think they saw, you know, Bigfoot oh, yeah. or whatever. And that really came full circle, watching the, you know, watching the Blair Witch and, and feeling like, oh, you know, that film does such a wonderful thing where it's obviously using technology to sort of just you know show its image right. um but it's not perfect you know i think it purposely pays on the kind of graininess and the pixelation mm -hmm. like the fact that it's shot in autumn which i guess is a very kind of liminal time anyway it's not the brightness of summer it's not the kind of drabness of winter yeah, it's that, that nice little little piece of like dread <laughs> yeah yeah, Never, yeah everything's not necessarily brown yet but it's not that heightened greeny spring fun time feel of anything yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very impressive yeah and um yeah it just the the experience every time I watch it it just takes me back to my living room being a teenager mm. um and watching that film and I feel like when I watch it even as a as a tired old man now with, with, with a kid of my own, um, yeah. I still feel like that teenager, you get the same thrill of watching it, um, uh, uh, even if it's in the daytime. Yeah, 100%. And I think what's so interesting about when you were saying about going back and 
and listening to the director commentary about their inspiration, I feel like what's so relatable, especially about found footage films. And I feel like you know, top echelon for this film being, you know, part of that, that category. But I feel like what's so relatable about this and why I feel like we were all so engrossed very early on with the film is that there's so many urban legends that are in our own neighborhoods and yeah, our, yeah. our own community lore. And I think that there's not a place on the planet where we don't have something like that. Like where there's not, oh, this story or a friend of a friend of a friend this happened to, or, you know, my cousin's friend saw this. And it's, it's scary because you don't know what's real and what's not. A hundred percent. That whole thing when you're a kid of like, is that person down the end of the road? Are they a witch or are they just a kind of a, a woman who might be quite lonely and she's been yeah. kind of demonized by, yeah. by the community? Yeah, yeah. And it does have a thing of just being, you know, we never know. Is it an actual witch? Is it a, a serial killer? Is it Who is it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny watching it now because I remember watching it as a kid being like, oh, the characters are so grown up. Yes. And I watch it now, I'm like, they're, they're children, like they're students. They are, you know, leaving their parents' house to kind of find themselves. And, and to see it now, it's, it's, it's you, your own relative age, I think, to the characters really kind of. Yeah. yeah, they're not too much older than me. You know what I mean? Like when you're yeah. watching, you're like, this is, <laughs> this could happen to me. But what I like about that and what they've created um, and especially with that immersive experience that they did with like the website and like kind of like this little breadcrumb trail through mm. where like forums were new and we were yeah. still like AOL and we were, there was like an, a chance to really permeate the culture with is this or isn't this something that's tangible and that's real. And then what that kind of sparked, I feel like really in those forums, and I could be completely off base with it, but. I feel like those types of forms and the things that they were doing with this film, trying to kind of reach a broader um, audience any way that they could in this new multimedia that was happening, really spawned like all of our like spooky stories through like Reddit and all of those, you know, uh, no podcast fodder and all of this things. Like, I feel like where would we be if that wasn't part of that like embryonic stage of scaring people through telling scary stories through like, a website forum like what yeah. is that? <laughs> and, and, and people want it to be real I think that's that's how they, they get you because you want to know you want to know if it is a, a, a human killer or a supernatural killer but you want to know the truth yeah 100 yeah, so how do you feel that this movie kind of shaped the way either you process new work going forward or how has it influenced anything that you've done in your study so, so yeah, so my main research areas are horror. Um, Yay! <laughs> where we first, first met uh, over yes. at, at Yellow Jackets. Yes, uh, we are a Yellow Jackets symposium <laughs> together. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I research a lot of stuff around horror, but also I'm really interested in audiences. That's sort of my primary um, interest, and particularly uh, meaning-making practices and identity and, and lived experiences and how that shapes people's responses or engagement with, with media text, media representations, with fan groups, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, a lot of horror literature that talks about affects, it's often it's about um, the thrill of being in a cinema. You know, the lights go down, 
we're there with other people, there's that collective tension, but we're generally in a kind of darkened room that's a public space. And when I was reading this stuff, time and time again, I was like, but that's not how I experienced the Blair Witch. I, the thrill and the scariness came from being in my own home, my safe space, um, but also that, that, you know, the idea that some, you know, some approaches see the kind of the narrative or the kind of a power of the narrative is from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. But something like watching the Blair Witch at home, you know, you're scared afterwards. You know, you, you, it feels weird going around your own house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that just stayed with me. I think there's a real um, power to watching things within your own home and certain horror films can, you know, and media text can really play on that. I mean, the, the pandemic is a great example of that, but, you know, and, and the majority of films we watch as horror, you know, as adults, we may watch a lot of it at the cinema, but as kids and you're growing up, your real introduction to the genre is probably in the home, whether it be mm -hmm. watching, so, I mean, I remember watching The Evil Dead 2 by accident, because I was mm -hmm. at a, a family friend party and the kids were going to go, go, into, go into one of the bedrooms that, you know, the parents are downstairs drinking. So you're just flicking through the channels. And I found this. I didn't know it was called The Evil Dead 2. But I was like, what is, what is this? And I just remember <laughs> the hand and the kind of comedy and the splatter. Yes. And that's how I found it. And it became mine. Um, so I think for me, I'm really interested in the context of viewing, the experiential nature of watching any kind of horror. Mm -hmm. uh, who you're watching it with um you know are you watching a kind of a borrowed tape um are you allowed to watch it are you, are you watching it kind of secretly all these kind of things um it really fascinates me so uh, uh, from a kind of academic standpoint and then I, I so my little boys too and I realize now I'm like oh well I was a kid who always wanted to watch horror and my mum wouldn't let me and my dad did and I'm like what kind of parent am I going to be with <laughs> horror do I do I let him watch horror? But then it might not be secret for him and he won't have that special nature. Or, you know, that's what I struggle with too, because my youngest is 12. Mm. And I think I saw, oh God, probably Carrie. I think I saw Carrie. And I, around like eight or nine. And I was like, Whoa. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but then yeah. I was like, what else can I get? Because it was, at a time in, I, I guess in the in in the U.S. where like we were starting to get cable, 1981 like MTV was was big. Then we had HBO, and then we had Cinemax, and then you had those channels that would play whatever all day long. Like there was nothing censored about it. it wasn't like oh after prime time these movies come on. Like I remember coming home from school and The Howling being on. Like. <laughs> I'm like, it's like 2.30 in the afternoon. Like, what yeah, is it's it's snack. But it's like, you know, and, and I think I kind of got really voracious about it because it was like, you know, that constant, like looking over your shoulder, like, is my mom going to come in and like catch me watching this stuff? Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I really liked that. Uh, and, I, and, to your, and to your point where like that special feeling, like that clandestine feeling of being like, I'm going to get caught watching this or, yeah. you know, that's that adds an effect being a bad it. kid, you know, doing bad things. Um, but I, I have that kind of like feeling right now with my son and he's like, he knows that mom writes horror. He knows that, you know, I'm very much into it. I always have. And we're kind of creeping towards things like he's watched like alien, like the first three aliens. He's watched the thing. He's watched the first oh, two cool. Friday the 13th. Um, we just saw Nope um 
but he's like he's he's starting to be like i want to watch oh megan we just watched megan um or mithrigan whatever you want to call it (laughs) (laughs) but he um he loves it and i i don't want to i don't want to harness that because i feel like he's really enjoying it but i also want to spoon feed it because then i don't want him to feel like you can only like these movies um and explore them on I want him to explore that on his own like there's some stuff where he's like can I watch um infinity pool <laughs> like I absolutely cannot watch infinity pool babe but I love the enthusiasm and keep that yeah that's it that's an eager but it's, it's funny because like I have this memory of me and my sister watching it. And, and like I say me and my sister you know very different you know we're very very close now but often clashed heads when we were younger and in my mind I'm like oh this is a really lovely moment we shared and I was telling her that I was coming onto this podcast and I was saying, I'm going to talk about the Blair Witch and we watched it together. And she's like, that traumatized me. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, we shared a moment. We shared it. You know, I, I, was the, I was the cool older brother letting you watch it. And she's like, no, you made me watch the horror film. I couldn't sleep for a week. So she hates horror. She said, she, I didn't. Oh, no. But even that, you know, um, I'm fascinated by the different responses yeah. that we can all watch the same film and, and or, or or media text or whatever it is um, and take so many different things from it. Yeah, and I think that what what you were saying about having this experience at home as opposed to like in a cinema, like we do have that very like low rumbling fear when we leave a, a movie theater from a horror movie and we get home because then we, yeah. we kind of try to incorporate like it follows you home like right you're like every noise when you're sleeping you're like what's, what's yeah happening? you know every light every crack I mean you're coming around the corner in a home you've lived in for years you know what's around the corner and it it follows you there but seeing something scary in four walls and a door that's supposed to be really really safe to you is a whole another experience and I think yeah. something like the Blair Witch where you have that is it or or not real and as a child and even if you were like 15 even 13 14 you're supposed to be a little bit learned by that time and be like I'm not a kid anymore I'm not yeah yeah I think it can definitely mess with you and give you some type of like just apprehension to did it give you some kind of apprehension to watch something scary after that or were you just like no now this is like the bug and (laughs) I'm looking for more stuff like this yeah yeah it's definitely a kind of those gateway films yeah to, you know I it's like it. <laughs> very much a, and I mean it's funny now like you know as a you know you're a horror creative and, and I sort of study it for a job um, <laughs> and I think I find myself getting more scared of uh, you know of these films when I watch them at home like if I go to the cinema it's a more of a popcorn event there's a kind of thrill maybe but it's a kind of, you're in a kind of public, I don't know, there is a kind of, it has a kind of distance for me. Then I watch stuff at home. Like I watch Skinnamarink at home. Yes, so, you said something I, about that. Oh, oh well, I mean, this is, you know, so my wife, she hates her, she'd gone to bed. Um, my son's asleep. So I'm watching it again, pitch black. And I had the baby monitor um, <laughs> next to the TV. Absolutely. And that film is like painfully slow. Um, I, people love it or hate it. Um, yeah. And the um, it's a really quiet scene, and all of a sudden, my son screams "Blue Murder" because he's <laughs> on his arm funny, <laughs> and it woke him up. And the talk about the sort of horror, you know, falling out of the screen onto into the real world. Ah, oh, it, 
You're gonna be like, oh my god. <laughs> <Help>. Go <laughs> I can imagine that it would be because that's te- that's terrifying because that movie is just very it is slow, but it's very like it's tense. So you're just like you're constantly on the ready for like something to go on, something to happen. Yeah. Um uh, and that aesthetic to sort of see it, you almost feels like you are a kid watching it because mm-hmm. of the pixelation and like when you're a kid and you see things in the dark and it 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 transports you it takes you into into that kind of viewing position and it, i find it really effective i mean yeah i mean reading online it made other people fall asleep i mean it was the opposite for me i was there <laughs> sleep i was like tender hooks. my eyeballs were just kind of bugged out the whole time and i was like this is going to be bad yeah it's going to be bad um and nobody watched it nobody wanted to watch me I, I watched it here in my office um with the you know i have stained glass um then this front window but like everything else is like dark and i watched it on my computer with my headphones on like everybody told me not to and yeah it i did not i enjoyed it but part of me was like i did not enjoy that (laughs) it's an experience yeah something similar to blair witch isn't it you know uh, know, i heard about it because articles that were being published this is the new scariest film you've ever seen okay challenge accepted (laughs) right right and will do yeah yeah so you've got these three kids basically college kids you've got Mm. mike josh and and heather you know trying to either debunk or prove this myth of the blair witch they're asking locals you know you have that like weird type of um just kind of awkward you know local conversation yeah. where people are not good on camera and things just kind of get kind of weird and they find out about like missing kids and missing men and mutilated bodies x y and z but they're still fully fledged going into the woods and checking this out so through that kind of chutzpah they have to really like go full bore into figuring out whether or not this is real yeah when you're following along with that movie like where did you there's always a turning point in the movie where you're just like, I am fully in- involved in this. I'm I'm with it the whole entire way. Like what scene out of that movie kind of got you to keep hanging on to the end? I think it's when they first get lost. Yeah. And, start, and, and one of the things I love about the film is the characters are really flawed. And, you, and I think you see that more as an adult viewer, I see that more because they are young. You know, they, mm-hmm. there's, there's no heroes and they wind each other up they bicker they, they, they go through all these relationships you know all these different types of engagements but when they first get lost or they first sort of start questioning the map then mm-hmm. i'm like okay this is this is like we're going in this is you know we're, we're getting lost with them um and i think that's a really lovely turning point because as you say they're they're going off to like make their name, aren't they? They're going to come yeah. try and spell. They're going to, you know, it's a, an age where they're finding their own truths. They're, they're, they're becoming adults. And that all that hope and gusto they have when they're leaving, you know, and they're drinking before they go there, like the, the reality hits quite quickly. Yeah. And, and I think you realize then that they are, they're not prepared for this. And they carry on as best they can, but that just it gets worse and worse. Um, yeah. it, it's interesting watching it again a couple of times that they, every time they cross water, you know, they, they, they seem to you know they, it seems to get worse, and that yes. feels like 
expressionistic rather than because it's so it's, it's it's filmed as real but it is that kind of thing of every time they cross some water it's almost like a, it's almost like a like a, like a right back to the beginning yeah 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 and every time it gets worse again and worse again and worse again and um and and yeah you are you're in there you know you, yeah. and you and i think with that kind of aesthetic as well with the first person view of the camera it really it puts you in quite easily and it traps you in quite easily as well. You don't have mm-hmm. that kind of omnipresent third person traditional cinematic language. And I think that as well is another way of really getting you in. Yeah. And I it's it's and I think that's part of the realism trap of it, because you're just like you are playing along with them at the same like it's everything's in real time. Yeah. And it's it's really easy to, and then the one piece where, where she is talking into the camera and she is like the, the one of the big scenes where she's like snotting everywhere and she's <laughs> super apologetic and she's yeah, like, yeah. I'm sorry. And it's, it's so painful. It's, it's painful to watch and it's disquieting and it's uncomfortable because you just want these, these kids to make it out. And it just does progressively get worse. And and to that point about the water, like I just that kind of was like in my head, like oh my gosh, yeah, because it feels almost like a like a board game where they get so far, and then it's like womp womp, and then they have to go back to the beginning and start yeah. like, even and tough journey. It's that, that yeah. kind of the fairy tale, you know, the kind of Hansel and Gretel. Yes. Even the pieces of bread or whatever is behind you, and they don't, and they get lost, and you know, this is this is their demise for it's yeah yeah, so thrilling you know it's terrible though like that the scene where and I'm gonna ask you what your top three scenes are but for me there's a lot of them but that scene where they start fighting I think Mike throws the map in the river he kicks it in the water yeah and then you start to realize like you are you're fucked (laughs) (laughs) the long and short of it yeah you are not good um and it's like and then you just have to wonder like okay well how are they going to make it out of this and even like the compass isn't working and like they're going like deeper into the woods and it's just you're just like oh it's like that weird edge of your seat where you just you just want them to succeed or have like at least one win and there isn't yeah. i mean i was uh, i always think like why didn't they just climb a tree and just try to get <laughs> above that <laughs> But you know, <laughs> that literally never. I, I, that would have solved everything. I don't know. But I'm also just love the trees. Go and like climb up a tree. Fourteen minute movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, climb the tree and we found it. We're fine. That's it. How do we get home? Oh, that's how we get home. Yeah. yeah just find oh. the tree. But what are your top three scenes of this movie? I mean, I'm the same as you. There are so many scenes that you you could pick, um, and uh, yeah, I think for me. Um, it's those the, more the little scenes rather than mm-hmm. big scenes. So uh, I really love the scene where they're discussing food. So they've been lost for a while. They've they've fallen out several times, mm-hmm. and they're in the tent and they're kind of friends again. And they're talking about the food they want, and they're talking about you know, like, like, um, I think is it Mike says I got a cheeseburger, and Josh says I just, I want my mum's mashed potatoes. And I love that bit because it just there's a kind of banal. Mm-hmm. Of, of what young people kind of talk about anyway but just that kind of almost like a nostalgia they've gone out into the big bad world yeah and it's horrible and they want to go back home they want to be children again they want their 
the the comfort of their family and parents and it's really sweet and i think because of that when josh goes missing it makes it that much more tragic mm-hmm. because it's it's not a it's not a shock or a jump scare it was a moment of tenderness in a really horrible environment and then he goes and it just it, it makes it really sad so i find that one really powerful my favorite scene um is my second example uh, my second one is um the tooth oh i know <laughs> I'm like, oh my god and she's like rinsing off her hand in the river i know oh i'm okay i'm okay i'm okay <laughs> you, um, you're, you're far from okay um <laughs> yes but it's the it's the only bit of color in the whole film because mm-hmm, it's in his shirt yeah it? and it's yeah. so bright and and gooey and, and red and it just stands out and it's the most colorful shot of the entire film and and as you say heather is is so upset and then mike's like trying to call out and she's like i'm fine and and then she gets her hair caught in her backpack and it, it just feels very real and raw and that vulnerability. Um, and just those little bits where she's like washing her hands or her hair gets caught. Like again, you just wouldn't get that in a conventional film. It would it would it would feel yeah. superfluous or would disrupt the narrative. And for this, I just I think it works so well. I think it's such an amazing thing. She like she moves it, she moves the casing away and then goes to it and then finds it and it's a real gasp moment. Yeah. It was because She's like, what is that? Like, oh rinse, rinse it off her hands really quick. That part, I was like, oh no. Like, and it was yeah. like tongue or something too. Like it was like a bit of his tongue and then teeth. It, it, or like it feels very, yeah. Budgy things that were in that little like wrapping, the little yeah. whatever it was. But that she doesn't say anything to Mike, and that always oh. bothered me. She's trying to, I don't know if she's trying to protect him or, yeah, it's all that she's so, she can't articulate the kind of trauma yeah. she's going through or it's becoming more unreal. Like she just, it, now she's becoming, yeah. Um, and it is a time actually where, you know, if you look at the way her use of language through the film, she's very confident at the beginning of the film. She's mm. standing in front of the camera, she's interviewing. And as the film progresses, she, I think she finds it harder and harder to articulate herself. There's a point where um, Josh is being quite aggressive to her and filming her and saying, talk, talk, and she can't. And, and, yeah. and, and that part towards the end of the film, it does become more expressionistic. There is some kind of lots of more black and white shots and mm-hmm. kind of abstract shots of the, the light coming through the trees. And I think her, you know, kind of, there's not, whole, there's not a whole hell of a lot to say right here like it's yeah. just like that feeling of it's like what else can I add to this yeah the dread of the fact that we're not getting out our only source that there is an outside world is looking up we can't get through or go back that's it we're, we're just as far in as we can get out and yeah yeah that's what's I, so sad about it I know well I mean that leads me to my final my final scene is is the is the the ending yeah, um, and not so much the Heather apologizing to everyone and film again talking about her parents and she misses them and loves them, but when they find the house, oh man, I just remember, like as a kid being like just the handprints on the walls mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because that's you know it's so real, isn't it? It's so it's and and the wall and it's it's so pixelated, but it feels so tangible and. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, it's Heather screaming and it's intercut with the quietness. And then Mike goes downstairs and he gets hit. And then Heather goes, and we, and when you see him standing in the corner, it's just like, oh, I'm done. No. And then the kids, yeah. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> but that's such a bold and confident move in a film, isn't it? Just it to is. be like, this is all I'm going to give you. Unresolved. <laughs> But I think that that's like, and I kind of, I kind of like that in this film. I like, there's a couple of other films, not necessarily horror, but um, that do that, that really just kind of give you like full stop. And that's mm. absolutely it. And it, and I don't think it's necessarily for the viewer to, and it, it does it anyway, but not necessarily for the viewer to kind of glean like what it's meant. Um, but I think that there is something so guttural about abruptness in a horror movie Yeah, where you, something has to happen like the bad guy's got to get theirs there's got to be a final girl somebody has to get away there's got to be something that kind of closes the story and this you have like you have no idea I think that was a really super super smart decision because that only added to the lore of it yeah yeah it, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's the same it, it, it it fascinates and frustrates us in the same way as the mm -hmm. aesthetic of the camera does because you know, you're, you're trying to twist your head just to sort of see, you know, is there, <laughs> that person is gonna, are we going to see who it is? And I think, yeah, it just, and I think that thing around, like, could they be in our world, you mm -hmm. know, outside our house because we can't see them and, and it just, yeah, it's so clever. And I mean, those parts of the film obviously the kind of snotty face into the camera is, is like <laughs> you know, it got spoofed but the standing in the corner it, it's it's such a kind of powerful image that I think yeah. even that stand alone it's it's iconic as well yeah because it just it's in to kind of I guess bring it a little bit full circle when you were talking about the they really do want to go back to the comfort of being like these kids and and having that vulnerability and having that safety but also how mike is in the corner is like you still are kids and this is what i do to kids is this. that's exactly it the, 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 the law of uh, of um the, the killer who made the kids stand in the corner so they went out and no the the there's no happy ending and you uh yeah the monstrous aspect of it is that you yeah you died as a child essentially yep and and I, I, the thing that always struck me was like well how how did they make him stand in the corner like that was just the thing it just it felt so i felt really powerless as an audience member you know yeah. which yeah. is what found footage does i think it's very disempowering in many ways and, the, and what you don't see because it is the first person in that last you know five, 10 minutes of the movie is what makes it so, so much more real. And to your point, like what happened to Mike? Like Mike was hit and now he's standing. Yeah. Um, so obviously he's standing. So he knows that, you know, she knows she's going to bite it because that was kind yeah. of thing. like the one kid had to stand in the corner was somebody got like just kind of round around, like rotated in. But that was a really, really terrifying piece. And I think what kind of brings it to the, the real like brim of, this found footage um, urban legend piece is that they based it in a real town. Like it wasn't like a fictional, like any town USA, like Burkittsville is a real place. Yeah. They've just really been inundated with like tourism, which I guess is good and bad for the community. But the fact that that just adds that extra piece to it, that it is a real place. Yeah. 
when you were watching it, you know, did you ever, did you, what was your kind of like sway in terms of, did you feel it was a more supernatural kind of horror or did you feel it more? Because I think it does such a wonderful balance of never, you know, and I think, you know, witches, I guess, are heavily gendered towards a kind of female coding mm -hmm. and, and the law of the serial killer who was killing children is heavily male. And I think it doesn't give you either of those. So it, yes. it, it, you never know how to position yourself in relation to the monster, which itself I think is unsettling. And yeah. I think that it, it's one of its best traits is that it never shows its hand. Like you always will wonder like, was it supernatural? Was it real? And, and I think that anything that, and any buddy or any, any kid that's ever lived near like a wood, like there is, you just don't, <laughs> you just don't. There's something in there, um, whether it be supernatural or, you know, some type of um, paranormal piece um, or even like some kind of like nature entity, mm. there's something going on there. So is it the woods that's driving them crazy? Is someone yeah. actually trapping them? Like, is there some sort of psychosis that happens when they go deeper into the woods? Is that that disorienting piece? So I've always wondered if it's like the more that they get lost, like, are they getting lost on their own volition? And through that, not knowing where they are and that that disorientation, is that where that psychosis comes from? Where they think that they're seeing these cairns, yeah. the things outside the tent? What are, is the tent really shaking? Like, is it really a tooth? Are you freaking out? Like... I've always wondered if that was the piece because there's nothing, you know, you've got these three kind of going through it together. And then once Josh gets lost, you've got, you know, Heather and Mike trying to really depend on each other, but also going through mass hysteria at the same time. Oh, completely. And, and I watching the DVD extras, they, there's an extra scene where they talk about that there was this kind of hippie commune from the sixties mm -hmm. around there. And I'm so glad they cut it out because it, I don't want things to be explained away in that kind right. of, I, I like the amb ambiguity and reading other people's sort of fan theories on it that a number of people think that the killer is actually Josh. Yes. He, he's the one that lured uh, Heather and Mike to their death. And I'm like, mm -hmm. and I'd never thought of that before. And I was like, oh, that's actually another interesting. Me neither. That's a point idea. About, have they gone mad or, um, you know, is it their own demise? Um, is Heather the witch? I mean, right. Uh, <laughs> that's so much to think about right now. Ah, but that's I, a rabbit I, hole. Yeah, I absolutely love this. So we've covered what you did like of the film. Is there any piece of the film where you're like, oh, I wish they didn't show me that, or I wish they could have done this piece better? I mean, the sequels. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a filmmaker. I was going to ask eventually. But... You know, making art is hard. Um, but everything I love about the original film, it's ambiguity. Um, it's its sort of really pulling you in. The, the sequel, is, it, it feels like it's an MTV TV series. It's, it's, so, it's so bad. Um, and... and, and, and the over the over emphasis on the witch aspect of it, the supernatural side of it, becomes too overriding. That all the other things that make the, the the original film kind of balanced or ambiguous and and more brutal, um, it just gets lost in the wash of the sequel. Um, and even the the kind of requel they did, um, mm -hmm. where I think they try and go back more to the original. Again, it's it's too big. It's 
too loud it's too um, yeah it's it's too supernatural and i think the, the first film does such a brilliant job of just you know it just could be someone in the woods yeah and that's, that's just and, and the, the second and third despair so yeah i mean there's loads of kind of transmedia there's there's novels there's uh comics and i'm just for someone who loves like all types of media i'm like i'm not interested i just yeah <laughs> it should be one and done you know that was it's it was it was so perfect um the other thing i don't like um is the interview of mary brown she called you know the older lady yeah yeah um just i'm not a big fan of that scene because it feels a kind of exploitative yeah of, and they're all kind of looking at each other like all right, all right. <laughs> yeah yeah and, and that idea that you know they're in a kind of rural poor rural space maybe and that feels a bit of a tired tribe i mean it speaks to their age and that young people are mean but yeah i think that's it i don't think that scene is necessary because i think the the more earnest or more kind of um normal engagement like there's that wonderful scene where they're interviewing the mother and she's holding the kid and she's like trying to tell the story and then the kid's like no no and that felt so like i'm i'm that would be to me seem really hard to direct a kid to sort of say and do that yeah it just feels so real it feels so off the off the cuff um so i felt like the, the mary brown stuff just i don't know it's, yeah. it's, the, only, it's yeah. the only bit of maybe lazy filmmaking within the whole film but but yeah that's it that's it's it's a minor point yeah i mean i think yeah because that part was just kind of just like let's talk to the podunk locals about things like yeah <laughs> yeah know? it was the, very like a, a little hammy and it needed to be but i think it was it, it it moved things um but not as cool as the the woman with the child um but i love that and i love Oh, I'm still kind of hanging on Josh being the killer. I've never thought about that in my whole life. Me neither, but now I can't unthink it. How can I not? How can I not even think about it? Like, literally never occurred to me. And that movie is like, what? Well, I'm, I'm like 40 years old. Um, <laughs> and I'm trying to like, I can't, I don't understand. But I always like to end these with kind of asking, and sometimes the story is just a story but do you feel like what is your personal allegory in your opinion do you feel like this movie is trying to say i think yeah so i think the film could be highly allegorical in the sense that i think the film is playing on the notion of fairy tales mm -hmm. and fairy tales that adults tell children um that often have happy endings that the the monster is vanquished and the heroes who are often children um uh, are the ones that save the day um yeah and and it's a lie the real world you know uh, the film makes us and the characters realize this um there are no heroes evil does win and especially thinking about how these characters are moving into adulthoods that they're sort of leaving home to kind of find their truth, find their way. And it's all a falsehood that the world does not care. Mm -hmm. it, you will get hurt. And, you know, as we said, Mike standing in the corner at the end is really symptomatic of that. They didn't become the adults, or didn't become adults or the adults they thought they would be. And, mm -hmm. you know, they the thought they were. Yeah, they were. yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that that speaks to, I think, both 99 and and now in many ways mm -hmm. so i think there's the the 
that kind of personal allegory in the age dynamic thing. And I also think there's a kind of wider, maybe cultural and national allegory that can be mapped onto that. Um, so America is mentioned a lot in, in, in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Heather talks about the camera being American or an American model. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the camera is both something to capture the truth, which ultimately it can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Josh plays the camera to, or, or films her, he knows that it creates a filtered reality. Mm-hmm. Um, that it allows her to pretend, pretend at being an adult, to, to, to try and fabricate the life she wants. Um, and that's not what she's going to get in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Heather loses the map or, or it's sort of um, kicked into the creek. But she says, you know, it's, hard, it's very hard to get lost in America, um, that it's not possible in this country. To get, so I think there's something about mm-hmm. and then they sing the national anthem in a kind of sarcastic fashion so I wonder is there like in this allegory that the myth of the American dream yeah how identity is tied to national myth and that these are other these are just other forms of fairy tale they're lies that we use them and particularly you know in the UK and, and the US these are these are um myths that are tied to notions of power mm-hmm. um, imperialism colonialism all that kind of stuff um and people use them in that as growing up to 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 position themselves within in hierarchies and stuff like that and i think that that i think the film is very nihilistic in a lot of this yeah um, and, and, and found footage often is i can't really think of a found footage that has a happy ending <laughs> <laughs> yeah nobody gets like cookies at the end or like gold but I think to your yeah to your point of being this almost like um really knocked down a few thousand pegs when they start off quite elitist um yeah attitudes when they're they're filming these like local people and to what they I mean it's it's on uh, and near the Appalachian Trail which has its own like super rich history with a lot of um really really spooky lore and and like rules like there's legitimate rules like you don't do these things near yeah. the Appalachian Trail but I think that that comes from like them being like that kind of snotty um you know east coast college kid that's gonna like make a name for themselves and you know and then having to really go through this terrifying experience just shows them that they're they're not as immune to that I mean that they've got the same symptoms as everybody else they just don't want to recognize it yeah you know nature is the great equalizer oh Um, 100 percent especially um, that water (laughs) don't cross that water that's Absolutely. Ah, this has been so fun. I'm so excited to to have talked about this. And God bless James, because he's been waiting for my ass for a couple of months. (laughs) (laughs) For a couple of months, but we sorted it out and it's all good. But I wanted to know if you can tell uh, the folks that are listening, um, any projects that you have coming up, any talks, anything they can kind of look back in your past catalog to uh, see what you're doing. So I got a lot on, um, I got a new book coming out. Um, called Transmedia Terror and Post-TV Horror. So that's looking at uh, or kind of charting the rise of graphic horror television in the 21st century and also asking us to think about what is horror television now that we have things like Twitch and YouTube and, and all these kind of things and loads of audience studies. So that's, that's with the publishers. Um, I've got, I'm working on an edited collection on horror audiences 
um, with which is an, it's going to be an amazing edited book with loads of fantastic authors um, edited with the great Kate Egan, um, and there'll also be a special edition of the new review in film and television studies because we had so many amazing abstracts that we are spinning out into multiple volumes. So that's super cool. I um, have some work coming out in the near future on Jurassic Park on audiences, particularly around the soundtrack and some stuff on uh, horror food. Um, So if people follow me on Twitter, they can they can find out about all this kind of cool stuff uh that i get to to research um so yeah busy 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 oh i love i love all of it i'm very very excited and it was such a pleasure to to hear all those abstracts for yellow jackets and just kind of you know meet and and see all kinds of other people's views on it and everything was just so incredibly smart it was just very very good company to be in. And I'm so glad that you got to join me today. I'm very, very excited about it. Thanks for having me. This has been such a blast.